and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Aubrey's back. Aubrey's back. Yay. <laughs> so glad you're back, man. How are you feeling? Much better. That's good. Awesome, awesome. So we had the week off, and so I put together that outtake reel. Everybody seemed to enjoy that. <laughs> that um, I think Matt Strachman said that we should do that every year from now on, so we'll see. I feel um, like I, I got to say one thing about it. And here, as everyone knows, it is my official policy to never listen to this podcast. But I did listen to that one just because I, I don't know. I didn't know it was gonna be in there i thought it'd be interesting and first of all i have way too many opinions <laughs> second of all i feel the need to i feel the need to put this out there i i don't care about harry potter <laughs> i don't care about it you know the whole what's we your talked about harry potter house for a while. thing we, not even for a while just like you know that's it's like asking someone oh what's your sign when were you born it's like obviously it has no it's just a polite conversation thing to say once it gets brought up. You're like, oh, you like Hellboy. What's the? What's your favorite book or whatever? It's kind of like that. Like I, I don't care about it though. <laughs> I feel, and it's fine if you do care about it. I think that's fine. Like what you like and all of that. I just, I feel the need to, um, I guess, publicly distance myself from, from that. <laughs> I don't want people to think that I even care about it at all. So just putting that out there. Oh, I love Harry Potter. So all you listeners, sure, if you sure. have questions. Direct them to me. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk about that at all. And I did do the, I did do that thing. I don't remember what my Patronus was. I think it was like a deer or something, or it was like a, well, that's something with antlers. Yeah. Oh uh, shit, that's Harry Potter's. <laughs> but my house was Gryffindor. Sure. Oh shit. So. And I mean, John is, is Harry Potter. I don't want to make this into a Streisand effect kind of a thing. I just felt the need to say I don't give a shit about Harry Potter. It's just one of those things that you bring up when someone talks. That's like literally the only thing. There are other books that you can read too. Yeah, like I'm begging you to read literally <laughs> any other book. Please, just read any other book. Like. I like how you were like, uh, I have too many opinions. I don't I'm gonna, like Harry yeah, Potter. I'm going to go ahead and give you another one of my opinions. But that's just, you know, I, I felt the need to tack that on there. Oh, right. In any case. <laughs> In any case, yes. Make sure to check out our pals at Mignolaverse.com. We had a little video of us on their New Year's video saying thank you for <laughs> all the thing. There's a little clip of us in there if you want to look at that. And they also have some really great reviews. Unbelievably, there are outtakes of that as well. I know. Oh, yeah. couldn't even get a four-second thing off without there are some outtakes of that i'm gonna have to cobble those together someday yeah it was a nice video that was nice seeing everybody happy new year's everybody. yes it was it was i hope everybody had a good holiday and new year's there's also a great article by our pal brian levy on king vold so it's been a while but since we didn't have an episode last week we want to say thanks again to Matt Strachbean. Too much thanks to him. Perhaps one of the best gifts this holiday season was the War on Frogs tribute cover that Matt Strachbean did of us. That was really cool. That was, it was, wow, it was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, check it out on our social media or follow Matt at Friends of Strachbean on Instagram. Thank you so much. Yeah, I don't know, I really that was just that. so awesome. I really appreciate it. It was, it was even better than the other one that he did. Yeah, I actually started following him on Instagram and he's got like, artwork almost like every other day or day yeah or something he's like been that. doing it's some pretty, good stuff it's pretty amazing i also want to thank jake the snake 912 for all the love on instagram and thanks for the shout out remake the last jedi remake they shouted us out <laughs> so you know how they're gonna remake the last jedi right so they're gonna remake that 
remake and on their twitter page it says that they're just going to re-release last jedi as the, <laughs> as the remake to the remake of it anyway but uh That's speaking great. of speaking of all your opinions danielle they said they, they they gave us a shout out and they said check out hellboy book club podcast we dig their take and dialogue on trailer reactions. Oh, because <laughs> you had a rant about the trailer, Hellboy trailer. Yeah, I reaction. don't really, I don't really fucking watch trailers. Kind of a deal. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was really good. Thanks for giving us a shout out on on Twitter. Yeah. Some feedback on Witchfinder in the service of angels. Drew Campbell said, "I'm a little behind on my listening with all the Christmas hullabaloo, so I'm just getting to this episode." I'm thinking Mary's cabinet, rather than a church confessional booth, is actually a spirit cabinet, which were popular during the heyday of spiritualism in the latter half of the 19th century. In real life, spirit cabinets were a tool used to fool audiences into believing in supernatural phenomenon, but it provides some nice atmosphere for this kind of story. He also sent a link where you could kind of see some of the history of those. Yeah, but they look like that little confessional that um, Zora came out of. It gives it a little more, a little extra uh, context. Yeah, when I read that, like I feel like I'd heard of that at one point, but then it just left my mind. Yeah, after the years. Thank you for that. That's Thank fun. you. That's fun though. Yeah. Yeah. And he also said, incidentally, there is a small independent firm studio called The Spirit Cabinet that Mike Mignola drew the logo for, which I have on a T-shirt. Oh, they make a neat. short ghost story oh, cool. using puppets and practical effects. Mike did some design work on one of the films, and Guy Davis has done design and promotional design for them as well. Highly recommended. Have fun. And so you can check out thespiritcabinet.com, and he also posted a link of that shirt, and it looks awesome. It's like a Mignola drawing. I'll have to post it on our social media. Nice. Some feedback on BPRD The Killing Ground. When I posted the teaser for that episode, Patty Noel said on Twitter... Such an awesome part of the Plague of Frogs arc. When I first read it, I was rooted to my chair. And at Elena Chi said, Oh God, Hellway Book Club is covering Killing Ground. I'm not strong enough for this. <laughs> I like my daimyo content, but not that kind of content. Right. And Jen Nikla said, Well, this is a pleasant surprise. Merry Christmas, I think. I will focus on daimyo and Johan this time since it's their book. I also want to state where I'm coming from so it's clear where I get my interpretations for this character. In my experience, people don't change. They just learn to adapt to the damage they have suffered or not. They always are to you what they are because, as a therapist once said to me, every person plays a different role to somebody else. That's why it's always hard to accept when a good friend did something bad because we can't believe that someone who's good to us could be bad to anybody else. It doesn't mean that their kindness has to be false. It just means that sometimes the bad is just stronger than the good. In Daimyo's case, it ironically wasn't even the evil of his grandmother, but the one he brought onto himself. It happens and he could have found some real help within the Bureau, but he just swallowed it. Something he may have learned at an early age. He could never accept that this monster was also him, because he may have spent his whole life building the idea of him that made him the perfect soldier, the perfect American. I may have joked a bit that he hears country in his free time, but is that so far-fetched? He's the son of immigrants. His grandmother worked for a regime that was at least almost as bad as the Nazis. And he lives in a nation that isn't very welcoming to, well, anyone that doesn't look like White Red Tom from accounting. I can see how he compensated with everything, and you can see in his mannerisms when he always put up his manly macho warrior facade, acting more American than any of his colleagues. All the time he wants to believe that he's one of the normal ones and no freak, and in the end it has eaten him up. Poor guy. I'm also sure when he talked about Daryl, he really meant himself. 
He's still trying to distance himself from the monster in the cage. And I was always assuming that Darrow was Daimyo's ticket to die early because Ben is a murderer and Darrow needs one to be freed. Win-win for both of them. So, Those yeah. Some great insights. I think that um, definitely on the right track as far as the whole, if you don't deal with your shadow side, it will consume you. Right, and, yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. And uh, very much on track as well with the whole... Um, you know, just because I'm whatever the child of an immigrant doesn't mean that I'm not an American. Sure, and, you know, I yeah, think that a yeah. lot of people feel pressure to put on that whole thing and try and be super tough about it. But I think that um, the whole thing about care, like you're always a character in someone else's story, and even though you're the main character of your own story, like you're not the protagonist of Earth, and so like he's right. he's trying to deal with his own shit, and he feels like I feel a lot of his decisions are fear based. So I mean, I. But who, oh, yeah. who, who's amongst us, you know right. what I'm saying? Like, I think most of us at times are operating out of fear. And, and this was a really good look at the consequences of that, of not facing that fear and not dealing with it in an honest and open manner and really just kind of like, you know, when you're running on pure fear, you're not going to make the best decisions and it's going to come out. And then like everyone around you is going to suffer because of that. It's not just you that's going to suffer. So it's one of those things where it's just. It's all about fear-based decision-making, and I think that that's, um, yeah, that was a really good little uh, little rundown of that story. Yeah, yeah. And it made me think of that no monkey that he had, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he would just, like, be looking at it or yeah. whatever, you know, and... Sometimes it, it would, like, come to life in his mind. Right, and yeah. I think that it was, he was trying to confront his fears a little bit, but it was in this macho kind of, I'm just gonna... Well, he couldn't, he felt like he couldn't rely on the people around him. He didn't right. trust any yeah. of them. yeah. Especially when they started coming out with, oh, look, your grandma was a fucking Nazi or whatever. And that's the kind of stuff that the monkey was telling him. Yeah, when he and would so hear he's it, like, well, yeah. I absolutely yeah. can't oh, trust them because stuff. they're... And then it's partially on them, on them because they're like, well, what are you... Why can't we trust you? Because right. look at your family. Well, like, I'm not my grandma. I don't understand why you're... You know, right. so it's a very... It's... I think everyone... <clears throat> It was just a big fucking shitstorm. Everyone was making very poor decisions in that story, and it really, it really showed up in a real way. I, I have to say, like I like like what he was saying about um, Daimyo and um, Daryl, because I mean, I do feel like that um, he is that kind of macho guy, and he doesn't want to be, you know, he doesn't want to be evil. He doesn't want to be a monster, you know. And he was thinking like Daryl kills him, right? He becomes the Wendigo. Daryl goes free, uh, and then this jaguar spirit monster thing is is gone right right but what if it wasn't gone what if it merged with the wendigo and you got a jaguar wendigo? I, felt like, <laughs> I felt like there was a lot of projection going on where he was like yeah. oh you know bet nobody gives a shit about old daryl yep everyone's better off without him like right. i think that was yeah. just pure projection wow. honestly yeah that's a good point he also says, and then there's Johan. To be honest, this isn't quite surprising. Let's be honest. I mean, this is a guy that hit on a dead woman. Yeah. <laughs> An attractive lady, maybe 20 years younger than him, but he's the only one that could touch her. She was his ticket to happiness, as was his new body. Now, imagine it like this. You are a balding, middle-aged weirdo. You married the first girl you had sex with and maybe the only one that loved you. Well, he can't have been satisfied because Johan was the nice guy, always polite, always friendly, because otherwise everybody could have beaten him up and no one desired him besides his wife. At least that's what Johan may have thought. And now he has his body, and not only is it as good as his, as his old one, it's better. Now he can have it all, especially the woman he lusts after. 
This highlights a darker side of Johan that was hinted at in earlier stories. Under his friendly demeanor, hides a nice guy with dreams of power and sexual proudness that had to learn to be nice. Nobody and their mother would have talked to him. Does that mean that everyone before that was an act? I don't think so, but it is telling that the first thing he did was hitting on women he seemed to respect on the outside, who he worked with side by side in years, who were his friends. This behavior is also him and always was. He does this while thinking himself as a good person, only now with the body he deserves, and that's why I can't stand the character anymore. At least Abe will be passive-aggressive in your face while Johan stabs you in the back. Well, it just shows that even a living bag of ectoplasm just thinks with his bratwurst. <laughs> see you next time. Happy New Year. No, I mean, I can, uh, I can see what he's saying there because it's like Johan, he did hit on that and that was before he even like you know right. got well, into think, a situation yeah and then all of a sudden and i'm saying and i do think that his uber body amplified his desires right yeah, yeah. maybe if it would have been somebody else in the body maybe it would have gone a different way or something I don't well know. i don't know that um everybody would have chosen to even do that i think that yeah. if that's always his goal as we're seeing that he's gonna continuously be after this i guess i kind of chose not to see that in this character i i, I kind of was continuously well i, I really wanted to like right it. yeah and that that kind of goes to show how good the writing is because all these characters are flawed all these characters are people oh, they're just yeah. like us we all have our own insecurities mm -hmm. and fears that we operate off of and we all have our you know our imperfections that we need to work on we've, we've all got dark sides and i think that this is um I think this is really good storytelling saying, Hey, there's no there's no two dimensional characters here. They're all they're all fully fleshed out and they've all got a lot of right. fucked yeah. up shit going on, but they're also could rise to the occasion and they could be a part of a ragtag team and while I am curious to see where that character goes, I am in this place where I'm like, Oh, I don't know about Johan now because that's that's a little fucked up and I'm kind of which is good. It's good to have right. that in your stories. It's good to have characters that are complicated, and it's good to have things that are. You, well, I do like that character. Well, now I don't like him anymore, and that's that's just that's just speaks to the effectiveness of the of the creators of these stories. Sure. Because if you didn't feel jack shit about <laughs> right. any of these characters, if you just didn't give a fuck, then it's like, well, I guess it's not a very good story, is it? You know. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it also goes back to the whole, you know, um, what you seen earlier about. Um, we put on a different side for different people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're really seeing this one side of Johan, this guy, you know, guy and doing yeah. it. But then all of a sudden it turns out that he's just... Playing that long game, that slow that, burn. That that nice guy. Burn. Yeah. It's it's very, it's yeah. very, it's very creative and it's very yeah. effective. Yeah. And it's something that I appreciate because it's, you know, it's not stagnant. It's, it's dynamic the way that our lives are. Right. Yeah. And so if it really gets you invested in these stories um, to have these dynamic characters. So I think that that just speaks to the creative team. But yeah, I'm kind of, um, kind of, kind of not the biggest fan. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know about, about Johan. We have a little bit more feedback on that. Raz Radke on Twitter said, I like Johan more after the second read. Imagine a lonely old German guy who grew up like a boy from the sixth sense, suddenly having the body of Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. His behavior, right or wrong, is in keeping with the context of what we know about Johan. Absolutely. He is behaving inappropriately, but he's also testing his new status quo. He considers Kate and Liz friends and is understandably excited at the prospect of his new body allowing him to pursue a romantic relationship. He's probably never had a normal 9-to-5 job, or a girlfriend for that matter, and doesn't understand the complicated nature of a workplace romance. So all things considered... At least he acted out on his base desires outside the workplace. 
Right, and I'm not <clears throat> saying that he that you shouldn't sleep with whoever you want. I right. think that's fine. Yeah. I'm not trying to be like, oh, he's so promiscuous. Like, I don't give a shit who you sleep with or how often you have sex with people. I don't care. I'm just saying, you know, we were talking about how we thought that his relationship to Kate and Liz was one of mutual respect, and it it kind of seemed like the very second he had a corporeal body, he was like, well, right. I can, you know, so maybe, but maybe it was also, and let's give him the benefit of the doubt in some ways. Maybe it was like just a rush and a flood of physical sensation. And he just was like, oh, I haven't felt like, you know, it could have been something right. that really was a type of like a mania that, I mean, none of us would know what that would feel like. It's, it's just a hypothetical, obviously. Yeah. No, none of us have been like a right. ghost yeah, in a sure. bag. <laughs> so we wouldn't know it's like all of a sudden to be back in a physical body. Just like maybe they, his, he genuinely does have love and respect for the, his coworkers, but he was just overcome by these sensations all of a sudden and was like, oh, I, you know, right, gotta do something right. about this. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And Ross says, it's weird when, when romantic feelings aren't mutual, but I don't think Johan was a creep for asking them out to dinner. Joshua Worley said, I've conscribed to the notion that whoever's genetic material was used to create that body played a role in the behavior of Johan. But I think it's important to realize that maybyou're seeing the real glimpse of him. Yeah. And if you think this is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> this story oh. was as much about Johan as it was Daimyo, and the two paths it sets them on leads to bad things. Also, it's interesting that Liz would happen to bring Panya a smoothie that was made from fruits from her native island. Maybe a little more suggestion going on than meets the eye yeah. from the sweet old grandmother mummy. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't put it past yeah, her, though. Come yeah, on. That's yeah. right. But yeah, as far as I mean, we keep going back to Johan, but like I mean, who know? I mean, it doesn't bode well. Is all right. I'm saying. Like yeah. it, it's in a story where everything always comes back to bite you on the ass, no matter what. Yeah. It doesn't bode well. So, but obviously, we deal with a lot of like hubris being your downfall sure. kind of a thing. So, right. If it doesn't yeah. bode well for anyone, it's no. going to be Johan. Is my prediction <laughs> having not? I'm not. I'm not reading ahead or anything. Even though I really wanted to after this one that we're about to do today, yeah. I wanted to keep reading. Oh yeah. And I guess I could have, but now I'm kind of on the thing where I'm just reading. Yeah, for I the think podcast. I, I guess I, so. I, I try not to read ahead either because then you start. Anyway, sure, I just whatever. want to keep yeah. it on each individual story. But I'm afraid um, if I read ahead, I'll mention spoilers to the next. Right. Episode. Yeah. As far as Panya goes, though. Um, I thought, you know, I was like, oh, that's so sweet of Liz. That's so thoughtful to be doing research about where she came from and what would have been the native fruits in that ancient time. Well, maybe you're right. right. Maybe, maybe there was, was a little scene. bit. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that to be necessarily bad or wrong. I think there's right, a little yeah. great. It's a smoothie. You know, come on. We, we'll see a little bit of that in this sure. episode, too, how she kind of I think it's, manipulates things. I but, think it's fine just because it's amusing to me. Obviously, like if I were manipulated in such a manner and I found out about it, I'd be kind of miffed. But at the same time, she's a cute old mummy lady and it's fine. And it could have also been like, I guess some sort of subconscious craving because she'd been in that uh, island she in that have, room have even been with those sure. opiates right. blaring around her. She's like, man, I have been craving some star fruit for 3,000 <laughs> years. You're saying it's just in the air and yeah. Liz kind of picked up on oh, it by yeah. accident. Okay. That could have been a thing. Yeah. I mean, it could have also been, you know, like a maybe she maybe was it think- wasn't deliberate. Well, maybe she was thinking about it and yeah. thinking about it so hard it just threw sure. out there. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I posted that picture of that goofy face that was in the pencils <laughs> when the jaguar monster is coming around the corner. 
And Jerry Turnbull and Chopper Johnson pointed out that it's the Shmoo. It's a fictional cartoon creature created by Al Cap. Huh. The, the character first appeared in the comic strip Little Abner on August 31st, 1948. The popular character has gone on to influence pop culture, language, and even science. So yeah, that that stupid face. That yeah, was, I didn't know anything that's, about that. I didn't know that was a it's thing. It's the schmoo, the schmoo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So anyway. All right. It's kind of cool when they post those things because I feel like it's stuff that like I used to know, but like, but not really. Right. It's yeah. Like, I think I maybe saw something like the schmoo once. Right. It's I learned definitely a lot. Familiar, I learned yeah. a lot yeah. through this. You know, it's a book club, and I love that being a book club, everyone gets a chance to chime in and make comments, and I think that because of that, we all end up learning and that's what a book club is for i've never been in a book club before so it's yeah it's cool it's pretty cool what a great segue danielle because i was gonna say thanks so much for all the feedback remember to follow us on facebook instagram and twitter to get all of our additional content throughout the week and join in on the discussion by messaging us or commenting on any of our posts we'd love to hear from you in more ways than one this episode is after the new year and so i hope that you all have a great new year and i'd actually like to hear your voices I thought I'd give our listeners a chance to introduce the show. So here's what you do. You don't need any fancy equipment. Just get on your phone or whatever, anything that has a microphone or a recording equipment, and you just say something like, my name's John, and I'm from Houston, Texas, and you're listening to the Hellboy Book Club. That's a a simple guideline. You can be as creative or do whatever you want. Send it to me on social media or email it to hellboybookclub at gmail.com, and we'll put it at the beginning of the episode right before the theme song. Oh, that would actually be pretty cool. It's kind of like... um... Back in the day when you listen to radio stations and your favorite radio artist would be like, Hi, I'm Trent Reznor and you're listening to this radio station. Exactly. Yeah, you can do that. Don't say your name is Trent Reznor, though. Say, oh, is, that say how, is that how Trent Reznor talks? Is that? No, he does not talk like okay. that at all. Okay. Maybe I should have been like, hi, I'm think, Axel Rose. I think it would be a little bit more growly or I whatever. I think it would be a little more, I do not give a shit about what I'm doing right now. It's like he's like annoyed with everything he Probably, says. Probably, yeah. yeah. He strikes me as, he's like, I mean, it. I can't believe I have to use words to talk to you. Or more like, <laughs> oh, I get to do radio promotion. How fun and useful. Right. Right. I'm sure at this point he doesn't have to do any of that stuff anymore. Absolutely not. That was probably back in the 90s. Sure. <laughs> so on our things we forgot to talk about, Aubrey's changing view on Daimyo. That was one thing that we forgot to talk about. Yeah. You uh, want to talk about that a little bit? Okay. So I, I, I've actually, you know, have tried to listen to the podcast, but I got a little behind. So the day that I read Killing Ground is the same day that like I would listen to the podcast when we first introduced Daimyo to the to the group and, and i was like the dead yeah and i was just like man i don't like this guy liz is right to be questioning who he is and as we've been going on i've been like man i've been starting to dig daimyo man and then all of a sudden like at the end of reading killing crown the first thing i did was i texted john i was just like i was really starting to like daimyo what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how they get you no yeah that's really interesting and i was actually thinking of that when we were recording those episodes and you guys were like you know, saying you didn't know what you thought of him or that it was weird that he was being brought in to lead the team. And yeah, that's it, it's fun to hear all the, the changing views on these characters as you get to know them. And I also didn't mention the Killing Ground credits. I think that we all know by now, but it was written by John Arcudi and Mike Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. So I forgot to say that when we read Killing Ground last time. On this episode, we're going to be talking about The Warning, and we're going to start with the prologue, which is called Out of Reach. Speaking of Trent Reznor, when I first saw the title of this, I 
I thought about oh, that. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There's a great song on Year Zero called The Warning. I really Some love that song. Warning. Yeah, and the chorus is, your time is tick, tick, ticking away, which seems like it's oh. kind of, it would be something that Guilford would, anyway, kind of goes along with the theme. Some say it was a warning. Some say it was a sign. I was standing right there. Out of Reach was published on Free Comic Book Day in May 2008. The story was collected as the prologue to The Warning in collected editions, and it's written by John Arcudi and Mike Mignola, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Clem Robbins. And these credits will be the same for The Warning when we get to that. Abe briefs a team, and this is after the horrific events of Killing Ground, which we discussed in our last book club episode. Abe says everyone has lost someone, some of us more than that, and it kind of pans to Johan when he says that, because, you know, all that stuff happened with the body. I just like that, kind of the way that it starts off. Abe explains their mission. He says a core member of their team is out there. Now that the blizzard's gone, they can go after him. I thought it was interesting that he says... As far, uh, he's explaining, yeah, we've, you know, it's been really rough. We've all lost people we care about. But as far as our government is concerned, we're not a bunch of friends. I thought that was interesting wow. that they, they had to keep reminding us. Because for me as the reader, I'm like, I'm obviously going to be concerned with their interpersonal relationships. So, and not the fact that they're right, yeah. a government team. Sure. So and I we've think talked that about that before the too, fact that yeah. Abe is, but I think it's interesting that Abe is the character that is reminding us hey, you know what, as far as the government is concerned, and I'm like, right. oh yeah, he has to bring that back into perspective for me because of all that crazy shit that happened. Yeah, So yeah. It's, it's interesting that they are framing the story right away in this context. Yeah, I like that. Anyway, but so, sorry. That's like how he mentions it, like, you know, how he says, like, you know, the government thinks we're not friends because, but we and we still have to go on with what we're doing. You know? Right. Well, it's not just, I don't yeah. think it's so much as that. It's like, you know, like, look, as far as, as far as they're concerned, we're... Yeah. We're a government team that's supposed to be doing a job. And right. We're not supposed to have any kind of emotion attached to it. So sure. it's like... Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. what that's what Yeah, I mean. totally, yeah. 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 And he's interrupted by Johan saying that he should be leading the team. The cold weather won't affect him. And Abe just looks at him. He's like, no, Johan, I don't think it makes sense for you to even go on this search. The fact that the storyboarding called for there to be an entire beat, yes. an entire panel where Abe is just looking at Johan... Where Johan is sitting and he's standing, the framing of it, it's very cinematic. Yeah, yeah. It's very, I immediately got, oh, I was like, oh, oh yeah. that is icy cold. That is fucking. But it's, interestingly enough, the way that I fucking, I'm like, Johan, yikes. Stop, yes. Stop talking. <laughs> stop talking, dude. Like. <laughs> Abe dismisses the team and Johan asks Abe if he mistrusts him. Abe says he's the most qualified end of story. He just try to cut, he just tries to kind of yeah. shut it off. And he says that Johan has a lot of things to take care of at the base. Well, I think because uh, we all are on the same page about this, right? The, the fact that Johan was off doing whatever the fuck right. kind of caused a lot of people to get hurt and or killed. Right. I mean, that's I don't understand how he is not focused on that. Right, exactly. He's just... He's very kind of... He's just got a one-track mind of this, what what happened to him. Yeah, and I yeah. think that Abe, I really like Abe's reaction to this, is to just shut it down. Right. And be like, I'm not even going to react to that. I'm not going to give any kind of emotional response. Right, I'm just yeah. going to 
do the best I can to get out of here as fast as I can and just whatever. Johan walks down some stairs. He sits in the cafeteria. He meets up with some doctors and they're removing the bodies. They tell Johan that Chavez will go to Washington to look for next of kin and the other two cremated. The doc asks Johan if he wants more time with his body. But Johan says, no time is necessary. The sooner the better. They ask Johan about the knife that was supposed to be in Chava's boot. Kate asks them specifically to recover it, and Johan plays dumb. He, okay, yeah, so he's like, like oh, it, right, that knife. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that, that's instant tell that, oh, I had stole that knife. Right, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very obvious what yeah. he's doing here. And well, then he, he, he even sort of gaslights this guy. Well, it's hardly your fault if it was lost in the chaos. I'm sure Kate will understand, and... I think that he's really fucking. Yeah. I mean, that is some next level shit. Well, that is even, some psychological fucking warfare because he's bringing up the fact yes. that Kate is going to be pissed. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure Kate will understand. Like, wow, dude, that is some social engineering. That is yeah. not. That is not cool. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh yeah, well, she's you know, and he's trying to frame it as though he would be doing this guy a favor if he just took care of the whole yes. thing. I'll take it to her. That yeah. is some fucked up shit, man. Yeah. Johan and one of the technicians look at the last of the three artificial bodies from Garden of Souls. And he says they've tried everything. But whatever those crazy robots were doing, they just can't reproduce it. Johan stays when the technician leaves for breakfast. And he just looks at the body. So they're still trying to grow this other one. They still have this third one, right? So there were three. Abe broke the first one. And then the second one is the one that Johan had in the killing ground. And then there's this one. And as he's looking at it, he opens up his jacket and he pulls from inside the knife. Shocker. Yeah. All right. The Warning, Chapter 1. The Warning was published as a five-issue miniseries from July to November 2008. And these covers are really cool because they're penciled by Mignola, but the inks are by Kevin Nolan. I have to say that um, it is nice to see Abe back out in the field again. Yeah. I've missed this Abe. (laughs) And he's got the cigar kind of like he had when he was sailing in Garden of Souls. So it's kind of like um, this is the new Abe. You know, he's kind of coming to his own a little bit, I think. Oh, totally agree. The other BPRD agents are with Abe and kind of camped out in the snow. They wonder how he stays warm, and from their conversation, we learn that they've been out there for a week looking for Daimyo, who killed 15 as the were-jaguar. One of the agents asks, have we been out here for a week just to recover a dead body, or is this a rescue mission, or are we on a friggin' hunt? I think we'll have a much better idea of what we're looking for once we find it, Abe says as he confronts them. We cut over to Liz, and she's punching a punching bag. Kate asks if she's trying to turn herself into Randy Couture. Randy who? Kate says. It doesn't matter. But the details are all that matter to me, so I had to look up this guy because I didn't even know who he was. He's a wrestler. Yeah. (laughs) Randall Dwayne Couture is an American actor, former U.S. Army sergeant, retired mixed martial artist, and former colleague and Greco-Roman wrestler. During his tenures in the UFC, he became a three-time UFC heavyweight champion, two-time UFC light heavyweight champion. He is the first of five fighters to hold two UFC championship titles in two different divisions. Did you know who this guy was? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) I vaguely knew who he was. I gotta say, as far as the art is concerned on this page, I really appreciate the fact that 
Liz really looks like she's having a workout here. Her hair is tied back in a very untidy kind of a bun. And it's, you know, it's just, it's not even a bun. It's like when you tie up your hair to make sure that you don't want it getting in your face and you don't want it like all flying everywhere. She's all sweaty and greasy, and her body looks like it could store organs in it. And she doesn't. You her don't think posture she... <laughs> is actually like she's working out. You, you know? don't think she should be in a tight midriff or something like that. I don't. You know, and she's not <laughs> yeah, in this yeah. weird pose that and looks like her off, spine is breaking. Showing off her uh, front and back. <laughs> yeah, it's just a very. It it looks like she's a person working out, and this serves the story very well. Yeah. And I know I keep bringing that up, but thank you, Guy Davis. Appreciate that. I also want to say I actually really like the way her arm is foreshortened here and the way you throw that first punch. I mean, that's just a... It's a very fluid art style that he has. We keep coming back to that, but it is very dynamic and and fluid and it... uh, I just it serves the story so well. It serves the characters so well. Kate says she knows that Liz is upset with Guilford, but since he also helped her defeat Cothaham, he might have some valuable information. Liz doesn't expect the Bureau to lend resources to her vendetta. If they can track him down, he's going to have to answer a lot of questions, Liz says. And then I'll kick his ass. <laughs> I love that little like that little yeah. smirk at the end. And Kate, <laughs> Kate's reaction is just very, I don't know. It's she, good stuff. It's, it's really good. Yeah. In another part of the Bureau, Johan has Devin scanning old files. Devin! Yeah, we see I Andrew like Devin. Devin again. We see that Johan is researching Daimyo, right? We yeah. see like on his little screen, that's what he's researching. And he says that he has a seance this afternoon. And we get this um, shot of Johan on the bed with his laptop. And it's we saw the exact same shot in Killing yeah. Ground when he yeah. was in the giant body and he was looking at Swanky magazine. And you can see he still has like the... You know, he still has all up. the pinups and the yeah. yeah, and he's got the magazines around him too. Yeah, there's a knock at Johan's door, and it's Kate and Liz. Kate says Johan is late. I was waiting for you. Johan says you could have just called, you know. And he closes his laptop and leaves. Johan is thrown off when they take him to the infirmary. Panya will be sitting in as the fourth participant, since, as Kate puts it, Abraham has been outplaying Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah Johnson is a 1972 American Western film directed by Pollack and starring Robert Redford as a title character and Will Greer as Bear Claw. It is said to have been based partly on the life of the legendary mountain man John Jeremiah Johnson, who lived from 1824 to 1900, and there are various legends and rumors about him. I didn't know is that about like a Paul Bunyan kind of thing. I guess so. I didn't know about Jeremiah Johnson. I wasn't huh, familiar I didn't with that. Either. Were you? I was not. Okay. <laughs> I really enjoy how Kate has her own little pop culture reference. I mean, it's a different kind of pop culture, but it's still her references. <laughs> yeah. well, this is, you're right. This is the second one that we've gotten. Yeah. I was about to say, like, what? Why do all of her references involve these very obscure, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I mean, early 1900s? It's That's very, her version like, of pop culture. <laughs> I guess it's just very like, well, how old are you? I don't. <laughs> well, you said it was a movie with Robert Redford, right? Sure, yeah, no, 1972, so maybe she just watched it as she was growing up. You know, and then Randy Couture, he's, like, in the last uh, in the last 20 years. Sure. I always have to go one step further up in my mind and be like, this is the writer who knows these things. Yeah, no, you're so right. why is he referencing this? Why is, why is he having Kate reference this? Yes. I don't know, it's just interesting. Yeah. Abe's cell doesn't work out there, or he's turned it off. 
Do you object, Herr Kraus? Panya asks. No, no, only surprised, you know. You plan for one thing and then it goes another way. It throws you off. What nobody has explained to me is why you need our help to contact this crab fellow, Panya says. <laughs> I've been told you can manifest the dead all on your own. In this case, that's the problem. This particular ghost actually possessed Johan against his will, Liz says. And it's a lobster. <laughs> lobster Johnson, Kate says. His ghost had quite an impact on Johan. If we contact him through a seance, he'll have four wills to contend with. And none of my ectoplasm to manipulate, Johan says. I see, says Panya. And given that his ghost rushed in here and rid you of your nightmarish visitor. Right, Liz says. We think he can tell us more about that guy and maybe how to find him. And then I like this last panel where Panya's like, well, shouldn't we dim the lights? Or isn't that how it's done anymore? <laughs> and then we cut to it's all dim. We cut to Aww. that they did dim the lights. I really love that yeah, panel as they've got it kind of all set up. And Johan calls out to Mr. Johnson. I like that he calls him Mr. Johnson. <laughs> you have made no secret of your presence here. You wanted to be seen and felt for your reasons, but now we have our reasons to speak with you. And for a moment, it doesn't seem like it'll happen, right? Um, I love this little exchange between We're Liz and Kate. Cater, yeah, looking at each other. <laughs> that, that that exchange right there was amazing. It's just like mm, mm. <laughs> it's very well paced. Suddenly, a lobster claw falls to the ground on a little card, followed by hundreds, and they swarm the team. When they turn on the light, they look at a wall. And spelled in the Lobster Claw cards is the name Guilford. And the cards all fall to the ground. Martin Guilford, Panya asks, that idiot? <laughs> I love that reaction She's to all great. this. We kind of skipped over these panels. These panels are really great with all the, um, you know, Guy Davis does a really good job. But yeah. it's a very intense scene. Um, Yo uh, Johan turns the lights on and that kind of stops it. And then, you know, at the end of it, I love this panel with Panya. It's just very it's good. Great. Well, you've you've said this before, but I, I, I want to reiterate your statements where it's just really good to have a salty old lady on the team. Oh yeah, but, no, I think we didn't actually talk about that on the podcast. That, that was dynamic just, is yeah. really good. But you had mentioned that, and I wanted to go ahead and agree with that. Yeah, on the air here or whatever, because that's um. It's a really good point. Like you don't see a lot of whatever. How many movies, TV shows, yeah, you know, or books or comics have you watched or read? And I'm sure that there are plenty, but you know, the for the majority, it's all whatever. Yeah. Super hot, young, twenty something, right? You know, and so to have this um, super ancient mummy <laughs> old lady, she's all salty. She's got a personality, and at this yes. point, she's very much like well past the point of giving a fuck what anyone thinks of her. She's going to say what she thinks. And she's, I just really love that. I think it adds a great dynamic to the team. And, and you were saying that. So I, yeah, I want to yeah, agree with that. I really sure. like her character. I agree with those statements. <laughs> Over in a rainy part of Germany, a woman loads a shotgun. Come little ones, come along, she says. And soon she sees like these yellow rain coated figures approaching. Yes, that's right. I've been waiting for you, the woman says, and she's aiming the gun. So, like, when you see this scene, you're like, what the hell is going on? She's going to shoot these little kids? Or... I like the classic horror elements that make their way into these books. Yeah. You know, the little, um, when you're cold opening on another scene to something that's totally unrelated right, to the yeah. character. It's a different location. It's a different, it's a character we've never seen. And it's just a very... It really gives you that sense that these the people working on this book are fans of classic horror. Right. These moments that they use to build up these scenes is very like 
whatever you see it on X Files or you see right. it on any any of these classic like um, Stephen King kind of stuff where yeah. something weird's going on. We don't know what it is. It's creepy though. So yeah, stay I've tuned. Been, I've been yeah. watching iZombie. Uh, I think that was recommended on this podcast, <laughs> yep. and it it'll have those little cold opens sometimes too. I really like that. Can, can I just point out one thing right here? Um, where she's aiming the shotgun into the sound effects. It's that. Yeah. So it's, that's like a pump action shotgun, and she's not. She doesn't have a pump action shotgun. Oh, really? Does she? Oh, maybe it's from she, where she's closing it. No. Yeah. yeah where she's closing. But, but maybe it's the wrong sound effect. Yeah. But that, that's weird because I think John Arcudi is a gun guy. Yeah. Like, well, he knows all his gun stuff. I so. think that is the kind that you. I excuse me for not knowing literally anything about fucking guns. <laughs> We're so stupid. But you close the the shit after you load the shells, right? I think that's probably the sound that was Okay. Well, well I was thinking it's more like a kind of like a movie sound effect. Yes, effect, yeah. You know, yeah. I know uh, what you're saying, the yeah. Ch- ch- you know, cuz we know it's a shotgun and all that, but uh, right, it wouldn't it probably wouldn't make that sound. Well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. What is this, nitpick central? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious because I just spent, spent like days watching Mythbusters. Oh, okay. Oh, Mythbusters. They shoot a lot of okay. shotguns and they did there. A, they did one about sound effects. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's funny because yeah. they use for, for gunshots, it's something totally outrageous. Oh, uh, yeah, right? gunshots, fists, and everything. Because yeah. gunshots sound more like a pop, don't they? Yeah. It's not like this huge not explosion. Like this. <laughs> yeah, they're mixing this and that. Sure, and that. sure. Yeah. Back at the BPRD headquarters, Johan asks Panya if the name has meaning for her. Well, it's hard for me to believe that this spirit could possibly be warning you about the fellow I knew. He was not an imposing character, not to me. Oh, troublesome, but on a small scale. But if I'm here and that name was on my wall, then the universe or your lobster ghost is probably trying to tell me something. And we get a flashback. Panya says, I knew of him, but when we first... You know it's a flashback because it's sepia tone. Yeah, they do that. They do that all the time now. It's a, becoming a reoccurring thing, and I like that. Um, this is another testament to having Dave Stewart on yeah. every color, every yeah. title, because no matter what the artist, we get these nice flashbacks. When we first met, it would have been some time around when the war between the states was fought. He was very enthusiastic, with a touch of mania, I would say. Largely, people in my circles look upon him as a species of meddlesome vermin, but they tolerated him for he had somehow secured a position as the curator of the Egyptology department at the British Historical Society. If one were in need of some hieroglyphics or even a mummy, he was someone to know. And we see Guilford in the museum, I guess, and we see a bunch of... I didn't really look up these artifacts. Do you know what this one is? This um, kind of statue next to him? What are we... Looks like it's staying on all fours. It looks like a statue of Bast, maybe? Oh, no, no, you're not talking about the cat. You're talking about the other one. This looks like some sort of a sphinx, perhaps? Yeah. And then there's a little dagger in that thing. I thought it kind of looked like that dagger that Johan had. It kind of does. You can't see the detail on it, It though. It does. You see, at this time, there was a great deal of interest in that sort of thing in London. Martin Guilford, however, had a great deal of interest in me. And we see these shots of Guilford. He's like trying to woo Panya, and he's asking her to come over uh, to stop by the society. Well, look, if you're a historian and you're in charge of the Egyptology wing and you've got a living mummy right. who lived around the same time as the stuff that you're curating, yeah, why? W- I mean, yeah, I would love to get – sure, of course, any historian worth their salt would be trying sure. as hard as they could to be like, look, if you could just come look at these artifacts, like see if you recognize anything about them that – 
maybe you could give us some more historical context for or or anthropological you know that's how you learn things to have a to have a primary source about ancient egyptian artifacts yeah to have her give her anthropological position on all of these things and be like yes this is actually what this was right. used for actually this says this actually this is you know you could learn so much it could help the entire world understand awesome things about whatever history and and science and all this type of shit and so yeah i don't see why that is <laughs> right at all out of line i would be yeah i wouldn't even be as polite as he's being i'd be like you absolutely have to come to the museum right you absolutely have to so i think that that's fine i don't know why everyone I, it's kind of a racism thing that these other guys are like mm. this guy's a fucking vermin right he's it because she says it's around the time that the states were fighting their oh war. you're right yeah wasn't there a huge anti yeah asian Probably. immigrant yeah. anti-japanese anti-chinese thing oh. they were really horrible yeah. to them and enslaving them and it was all this whole you yeah. know racist yellow whatever they're just being horrible horrible to these people in every way imaginable very violent and very disgusting and so is a weird like yeah he's kind of creepy and weird but at the same time from just give, being given this information i feel like everyone's kind of picking on right at this yeah point, so i don't know normally i would agree with everything you just said but knowing what we knew about this guy yeah, I, yeah yes yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> knowing what we know about him obviously but that's you're right in thing. the context but just from this, this scene, context, sure, yeah. yeah it seems like these guys are being total assholes they just want to control panya for their own gain they don't want anyone else to have access to her and this guy is just like I just work at the museum. Yeah, right. Why don't you come give me some info? But of course, yeah, we do know more about him now. But I'm just saying, yeah, from yeah. this context, it seems kind of a... Rude. Rude, yeah. I love how she rebuffs him, though. She says, excuse me, but I'm suddenly thirsty. Yeah. I'm going to use that next time I'm at a party. And I'm just going to get out of the conversation. <laughs> it was obvious to me that Guilford was only after what he thought of as the secret of my resurrection, and equally obvious to others. My hosts and sponsors at the time, the Helioptic Brotherhood, suddenly were quite wary of my social contacts. And so she talked a little bit about this in Garden of Souls as well. Right. They're all trying to find how she managed to right. live to be that old or whatever. She didn't really see Guilford again, but she heard of him now and again. He apparently fell on hard times in ensuing years and took up with a particular vile occultist. And so we know that occultist was Gustav Strobel after reading Witchfinder. Right. And finally, the Brotherhood told me that he had gone completely mad and was committed at Bedlam. So we saw that he killed Strobel, and then we saw that. And that kind of ties up with how we, um, what we saw of in the service of angels. Panya says it would seem as if Guilford has found his key to long life. Johan suggests that Panya use her abilities, like she did with that girl in Indonesia. But Panya explains that Guilford would have natural defenses that would make finding him far more difficult. Johan suggests they try with a seance, but Panya calls him a fool and says they'll just get another blizzard of ghost calling cards. There's only one way to do this. Isn't that so, Elizabeth? If you say so, I do, Panya says. Take my hand, sweetheart. And they kind of hold hands. And, um, it's very cute. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do like this moment. And they developed a bond, yeah. too. So I kind of feel like that has something to do with this as well. Yeah, the reason absolutely. why this works. Yeah. They, have a, they have a good relationship. They have a bit of a rapport. And I think that that's... Panya says, he came into your mind, dear Liz, and so created a path for me to follow back out. And Panya arrives in Guilford's world. So I like that logic that he left a path, you yeah. know, and she's able to kind of follow that back in there. She communicates with Liz 
And one thing I thought was interesting about this, it made me think of, do you remember in the last story arc, Liz had a vision where she saw those cats and there was a lady and she was saying, run. It was this lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Panya. Yeah. And she was in her, because it, it was, uh, this lady was dressed exactly the same. And we see like kind of Panya's avatar, whatever. Or yeah. her. It's like how she sees herself in like the spirit world. Or yeah. Something. I can see it through his mind, though I cloak myself that he remains unaware of me. And Panya inspects this book. A book, always a good place to start. Handwritten journal, I think, but in some sort of coded language. Still, if he can understand it, I should be able to. If I only dig a little deeper into his brain. But slowly, deliberately, I mustn't reveal myself to him. This requires finesse, caution. And then we see in the book it says, Yes, Panya, you must be so very careful. That is such a creepy moment. Yeah. I really... It was very effective. It was very jarring. It gave me that look. It's a sort of feeling you get when you're a child and you're watching something like The NeverEnding Story for the very first time. It's just so weird and out there that it's just very... I like this focus on her eyes, too. They always do a lot of these shots where it's just her... green eyes. Yeah, her green eyes. Behind her, Guilford appears and backhands her away. Panya screams out as she awakes. And Liz asks if she's okay. Not to worry, child, Panya says. He's not the weakling he once was, I'll admit, but still recognizable as vermin. And best of all, I know where he's hiding. Chapter two. So I get this guy, I get that this guy is a total sleazebag or whatever, but like, why, I don't, what has he really done that's, that's been so horrible up until now? Like, what is, he's trying to tell everybody that bad shit's going to happen. Right, yeah. And I guess... People are mad at him because of that. That's as that's as far as I've gotten into this. I'm so confused. Well, I think they're trying to. What Kate's logic is, they need to get information from him because he he did help them to defeat Cothaham. So whatever he can tell them about, like what else is is going on, that's yeah. I think that's what they're trying to find I, out. I feel like he's. But he's elusive, you know? They haven't been able to get him. Maybe he has reasons for that. Like, maybe if he's found out, then something super extra bad will happen. I right. don't know. I just feel like they're well, they're really being very antagonistic. But I think the other thing is that this guy. I think the other thing that we saw kind of saw at the end of the at the end of the Black Flame story when we read that epilogue is he's put this kind of shadow over Liz. Right. And he's been, she's been depressed. She hasn't been sleeping. We've seen in all the issues, she looks yeah. like shit. When, when they were, when all the shit was going down in Killing Ground, she was just like passing out asleep on right. the briefing table. So I think like it wasn't until Lobster Johnson, his ghost came and shot her that that she was that that thing was broken. Right. So I think that's the other side of it is that he's been kind of. But we haven't figured out why he Liz. was doing yeah. that either. Yeah. Like, why? I always, I always took it as, like, he has information. Because he obviously has information and he knows some right. stuff. But, and he has some weird obsession with Liz. But right. I think it's a combination of the, he has information and he's being a dick. <laughs> and he's just, you know, yeah. just, being a complete and total... It's very vague. Yeah. And, it's very and, vague. And, and, and you're right. I mean, we don't know what he wants. He hasn't told anybody. Right. It's been this whole bag of mysteries this entire time. So I think that is also kind of like makes us not like him too because he's so secretive and he doesn't just forthright come out. If if he really wanted to help Liz, he could be like, hey, let's team up. I'm joining the BPRD. <laughs> now you have an evil wizard on your sure, team. Sure, sure. You know, but he's not doing that. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like he's 
I feel like he's trying to use Liz in a way that he like like he's trying to take her power like the way Rasputin did. Oh, sure. And then uh, because you know he wanted to get to know Panya, and Panya's like, well, he just wanted to know my secrets of resurrection, right? Right. And so I feel like he's just a user and a manipulator. Sure. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense for sure. At the beginning of chapter two, out in the snow, Abe inspects a dead animal, and a BPRD plane lands nearby. Kate comes out and she tells Abe to pack up his... Get to the chopper. Get to the chopper, yeah. (laughs) Kate tells Abe that he's got nothing. While they have a full-scale search for a person of interest in the frog war, and she abruptly orders him away, and Abe looks back at this dead animal. Johan thanks Panya for her help with finding Guilford. I was thinking, Panya, Johan says, that you and I have so much in common. We're one to think on it. And you've been thinking on it, Panya asks. What I mean is, each of us is a medium. Each of us is able to connect people, find the missing, bring them to those who seek. I can locate a soul among the dead while you can track down a mind among the living. That's not exactly what I do, Panya says. I was able to reach Guilford through his invasion of Liz's psyche. But thinking that I can find a specific person would be a mistake. Why, Herr Crofts, who is it that you wanted for me to find for you? May I take a guess? Panya says. Perhaps he has a very large scar on the side of his face. <laughs> and I love that so little moment. So she's just cutting right through his bullshit. Yeah. Because he's, he's willing to fucking manipulate his way through absolutely every fucking interaction he has with everybody. Yeah. And he's going to fucking gaslight everyone to the ends of the earth, but not this bitch. She's <laughs> ready for him. She has been, she has seen it all. She's not about to fucking endure that from anyone else. She's like, oh, maybe... Maybe he has a very large scar yeah. on the side of his face, you fucking idiot. You can't trick me. She's untrickable. She, she and in this bottom panel, she's almost got like a little She's got a very wry smirk. The yeah. way her eyes are and the way he, her mouth is, it just makes me think that it's kind of just just kind of the way you delivered that there. Yeah. And yeah. it kind of spooks Johan. He runs out into the hallway. And Devon checks in. He's pissed. He's like... Uh, Someone he's, called him on his bullshit. Yeah, yeah. he sees Johan and he's like, hey, these files are scanning. He's like, not now. And he just kind of leaves him there after he told him to do all that stuff. So, so. this guy has been working his ass off. Devon, yes. <laughs> beautiful, sweet little Devon, has been working his ass off doing the most menial tasks of like scanning all these old newspapers. And he's like, oh, finally done. He's going to be so proud of me. He's going to be so happy with the good work that I've done. And he's just... This selfish little baby in diapers is storming around the hallway, just yelling at people. I don't have time for that right, shit. Yeah. It's very like, yeah. come on. Could I like Johan any less at this point? Although I, I can kind of feel how Devin feels because after working in offices for 15 years, yeah. <laughs> doing yeah, all this shit for people, and then all of a sudden like, oh, right. Just because you're in a mood or whatever. Yeah. So we get this next page with the where they're all in the plane. What what kind of plane is this? Do you know? That's Do you know a, about what's it called? Uh, when you are um, you have lots of heavy vehicles, uh-huh. and you need to put them in a plane and take them somewhere. Okay, I don't know what. That, Somebody let us know. Yeah. What, uh, isn't it like a VTOL, like vertical takeoff? Uh, vehicle sure maybe i i should research that but um carrier we we, we see we see these kind of planes a lot in like, the bprd comic like troop transport kind of right thing. well and it's also probably got some like very a lot of heavy office equipment up there that they you know how like when you you gotta uh take like a, a mobile command center? sure yeah and i just want to talk about this page i think this is just a really great beat right here 
it's just a very kind of quiet moment. They're all sitting there on the plane. And then Johan asks Abe, so you were away for some time. Did you learn anything on your search? And Abe just goes, yes, a few things. And that's it. And then, and he just kind of doesn't say anything else. And he actually, like, he's facing, I was thinking about it, like, he's facing the window. And he turns around to talk to Johan, and then he turns back to face the window yeah. again. His so, body language. Yeah. His, his and Johan is And Johan is left, like, he's scratching yeah. the side of his face or something. That little, just that human mannerism is just... Like, Abe is also not feeding into any of this either. Yeah. Abe is yeah. like, I know what you're doing. I'm not going to talk yeah, to you. Absolutely. you know, I'm not going to tell you anything that I learned about any of this. No. Yeah. That no one, I mean, why? Trust is earned. And this yeah. guy is totally depleted all of his trust reserves with these people. Kate goes over the plan to get Guilford with Liz, and she's smoking. I thought you quit, Kate says. I did. I'm sure I will again. <laughs> Aww. Been there, <laughs> sure. And uh, I just like these uh, these human. two pages of these the little character moments. Yeah, it's yeah. very humanizing. Yeah. It's very you develop a relationship with these characters. It's There's, really those are actually some of my favorite parts of this whole BPRD yeah, run. Is yeah. just those those small interactions with Liz and Kate. It just makes it that much more yeah. devastating when a bunch of fucked up shit goes down. Yes, it really does. And they get to Guilford's world or whatever. They get to the location. And we've kind of seen these ruins, too. Um, so beautiful. Like, like Guy Davis, we keep coming back yeah. to how Guy Davis has... I don't want to say that it's a loose style. Because, obviously, it it takes decades of hard work. And and you have to develop, a, you know, your own style. And it's very... Everything that he draws is very, you know... Uh, I, I I wish I had the words to describe yeah. it, but it takes it takes technical prowess to yes. be able to represent figures and and places and things in such a detailed way. But it's also I mean these <laughs> these lines in any other fashion would not make anything. But <laughs> right. the way that he is so s- skillfully puts them together <laughs> is that it's yeah. it seems like it would be a loose jumble of lines but it comes together to make these perfect landscapes and these these very expressive shadows he never overdoes it it's very like like yeah that's a bush and yeah that's a doorway and yeah that's a monument's ruin but it has so much character and it has so much there's so much to it that it's like yeah you could be technically good at drawing photorealistic things or you could have this style that that gives you more of a characterization of what's going on and it's it's just really like the, all the characters' expressions and and everything—it's just very—I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I, my, my words are a loose jumble of <laughs> sounds, but I guess it's—it's it's not really conveying anything. So I, I will stop. No, I now. mean it really does give you that. Uh, Im- it gives you that impression, like you, you you're in the jungle. This is an overrun temple. And, yeah. And this is the way he did it, and then just the style and the, all the detail he's adding. Yeah. I even like the tiny little. But when you deconstruct like it, it's just dot note birds in the background. He's just got such a mastery over like lighting and shadow, and yeah. it's just you know. Anyway, yeah. There's a lot there without there being without it being overworked. 
I think. Although I have to say, like when we first see their faces there in the jungle, I thought that they put on like camo makeup because I was on the. No, I think that's Dave Stewart no, no. doing the shadows of the <laughs> yeah. leaves. Oh no, sunlight no, no. coming through the leaves. I think it's no, very no, no, effective. no, no. I said when I was first reading it, I was oh. like on too much Dayquil, and I was oh, all Dayquil. like, Dayquil. <laughs> I was just like, did they put on camo? Oh right, no, you were sick and you were on Dayquil. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I am glad that you mentioned Dave Stewart because that's a big part of this whole. We've been talking about this page for a while, but that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that uh, I really think that. And yeah, no, it, you're right. It is. It's a lot of it is Dave Stewart, and I. I don't want to not give credit to Dave Stewart. Yeah. Um. The 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 blues coming in yes. to the greens yeah. to make that, and then like the that mottled like moss growing on the stone. That's all him. Yeah. That's all him. And so when you get down to, um, then when you get to the next page with the um. He's trying to convey that there used to be something here, right, yeah. or that there's another layer on top of it in a in another reality that Liz is kind of seeing. He does this so well. It's it's like the gold statues and the red curtains flowing. He he fades it out into like the realities are superimposed on top of one another, and you really get the idea that it either used to be there or it's only there in Liz's mind. Right, and so it's something that like. He took these old like you if you flip back and forth between the pages really quickly you can see Dave Stewart is oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. instrumental wow, in that amazing. mood that I was even that in the yeah. background there's like a there's like a ruined um oh, yeah. thing in the background yeah. and then... I would say hey they make a great team which they do but also does Dave Stewart ever not make a good team I know, or something right? like <laughs> is there anything he cannot color Probably not So I mean, I I really am in awe of his skill as well. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I don't want to leave him out. Yeah, you sure. did a good job of describing. Dave that. Stewart is incredible. I remember reading something or hearing something, and I can't remember who said it was either Mignola or somebody, you know, in the BPR in the Mignolaverse world, was talking about how like Dave, they're lucky to have Dave Stewart yeah. to keep things consistent. Yeah, yeah. The, the mighty uh, Dave the Stewart. He does keep it consistent. Even the sky. Yeah. I mean, look at that. Yeah. I mean, he's his. Does he paint? Does he paint, like paintings? I don't know. Yeah, um, that would be something to see too. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look more into his work. I'm more familiar with uh, the stuff that he does. You don't for often the hear people. Yeah, you don't often hear people say, "Oh, this colorist, this colorist." But like, yeah, they don't everybody a- take a second to thank your fucking colorists yeah. because without them, half of this wouldn't look as oh, yeah. amazing as it does, and it wouldn't give you the the mood, and it wouldn't give you the the tone and the texture and the yeah it's it's amazing oh i totally agree i mean i feel like you know you know the penciler is always the one who gets all the love and glory but you know <laughs> the inker and the colorist and yeah. you know just everybody's coming together to make this yeah. beautiful piece of artwork we are very lucky to be and the letters too clem robbins oh, yeah. with the letters it also keeps it consistent it's true and um we've we've <laughs> talked about these two pages for so long but like i really just like them a lot i think that it builds a lot of tension as Liz is kind of like looking. She's trying to see if she like sees it. And yeah. then as soon as she does, she just like barges in there. And when she goes inside, you know, it's all ruined. It looks more aged. There were curtains and he had statues over there, Liz says. He made you to see how he wanted to. He did so to intimidate you, Johan says. She lights this cigarette and then as soon as she looks up, it's all fucking yeah as soon as she looks up she's back in guilford's world again and we get this really cool kind of um splash page from guy davis and you can just see all the 
Yeah, just like look at all these little lines on the pillar. Yeah, um, it's really crazy. It looks really cool. And there are three of them. It's very it's four, almost five, psychedelic. The yeah. <laughs> the rest of the BPRD crew are frozen in place. This is our moment, Elizabeth Guilford says. Ours and ours alone. Liz says she wants to fucking kill him. <laughs> yes, of course you do, Guilford says. Why wouldn't you? And yet there you stand doing nothing. I've never lied to you, Elizabeth. You know that. Never once. Just because you didn't lie doesn't mean you're not being a manipulative son of a bitch. Right. So listen to me. Listen closely and hear the truth. For the sake of this world, you will come with me. And if not for the world, then for the sake of your friends. And did you really think I didn't anticipate your finding me? The entire complex can be brought down on your heads this instant if I wish that to happen. No, I don't believe it, Liz says. You'd end up killing yourself too, and I know you'd never do that. Ah, so you know me that well, uh, Guilford says. Then what makes you think I'm even here? And we come back to the real world with the BPRD, and Liz is gone! We hear a plane taking off, and a bunch of the other agents outside are passed out. And even, like, this, I just realized, like, this double page and then the other one are kind of the same shot on top. Right. But one of it is in Guilford's world, and then the other one is in the ruins. I love that. So cool. I'm going to put that as a side-by-side this week for the post. One on top of the other. Yeah. And uh, so cool. Anyway, we'll, we won't spend another 10 minutes just talking about that. Abe runs out for the other copter to go after them. And it fucking blows up. Like all this uh-huh. kind of stuff happens so fast. And uh, Guy, Guy Davis does a really good job of uh, Abe being blown back by this thing. I hope they're not still getting their shit from Zinko. <laughs> yeah, really, right? And everything starts blowing up. Guilford got Elizabeth, Johan says. Yeah, and he made sure we couldn't follow him, Kate says. Jesus, how could one man do all this? Abe says the chopper still has radio frequency identification, but we soon learned that he thought of that too. The tracker was removed and thrown out to the jungle. You know, when I first read that, I was like, oh yeah, they're going to find him. And then when I saw that there, I was just like, damn it, I fell for that trope again. <laughs> I know, yeah, we, we see that a lot. They didn't have me fooled for a fucking second. I always knew they were going to find that transponder in the goddamn bushes. I've seen that way too many times to fall for that shit. And, um, yeah, so I, I thought this was really interesting that, um, is this the first time that Guilford has appeared to anyone else other than Liz? Oh, I guess so. I, I think so in the modern time. Things are becoming clearer, yes, he says to Abe. Now you realize that I could have killed you. All of you, at any time, but you're still alive. In a few minutes and for the coming days, I want you to think about that, Mr. Sapien. But first, get out of my home. And so Abe knows what that means. He calls for the evac, double time, and then explosions, even more explosions. It all kind of comes crumbling down, and that's how it ends. So, yeah, that was a bummer. Part of me, though, still thinks that there's a bit of Guilford that's kind of bluffing a little bit. I don't think sure. he's as powerful as he's making himself right, out to be. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling that he doesn't know as much as he's uh, letting on. Yeah. yeah. Chapter three, Abe seems to have found the plane that Guilford took Liz with just outside Munich, Germany. And he looks pissed. Johann talks to Inspector Carhu in German, but Carhu says his English is pretty good. And Kate says it's excellent. The inspector says to call him Bruno. Abe says it's impossible for the helicopter to fly this distance of thousands of miles when it only had fuel for 400 maximum. Something else is going on here. Bruno says strange stuff has been going on all over the area. 
Electronics, wires from walls, and plumbing have been stolen from homes in the area. A woman reported children were committing the burglaries. Bruno mentions she had an irrational hatred of children. <laughs> I guess that, that's that lady that we saw earlier. Oh, right. Her. Or are they? And they enter, <laughs> and they enter a wrecked house. And they pass the police tape. Bruno says the woman was mentally incompetent, but she drew pictures to use as evidence of what she saw. When we see that she drew all these pictures of these raincoated people. Um, or are they? Or are they? They never found her body, but there was shotgun damage and blood. Remember, we saw her pulling the shotgun on those kids earlier. They also found two shot-up children's raincoats, but no kids have been reported missing. Johan senses a woman newly dead, and while he's attempting to get more info, they get called into the other room by Abe. He asks for Devon to head back and for Bruno to give them a moment, and he points to this red drawing on the wall. It's the fucking black flame. Uh. First thing that was in my head was kill the black flame. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he's got all the frogs around him. So remember, the frogs kind of did this thing and they were able to make his suit light up with that black flame. And that's kind of what they're doing in this picture that they find. And so that's like another, um, I just like this kind of reveal. It's just kind of. I like the way he managed to make this look all scribbly. It's very creepy. Yeah, it is. There's just something about it that she would draw this um, on the wall. That's super um, creepy. We get a scene with Panya and one of the BPRD doctors. Panya's sitting up now. So now they've kind of got her upright on this thing. I like that the bed um, is like something that she can. It's it's a mobile It's like one of those folding, you know. Seat bed thing. Yeah, she sits all the way up in it's it. It's almost like a wheelchair can... or something. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah, I dig it. And she's eating food now. So we saw the last time she can only have the a smoothie, but now she's actually you know eating some solid food. They're taking extra precautions for her. And as they talk, we see one of the animals from Garden of Souls. I also like, um, (laughs) but I I forgot to mention, I also like, you know, Panya's whole attitude. She's got this very kind of like, she's like, she doesn't want them to be feeding her and all this kind of stuff. Um, I just like her dialogue. She compliments the lady's hair. It's just like, it's very, very, it's what I figure an old lady would sound like. They do a good job of writing her. It's very cute, too, like while this monkey bird is playing with the with her cat. Um, what was the cat's name? I forgot. Ollie. Ollie. She called it yeah. Ollie. Yeah. And uh, they're playing together, and he's like scrambling up on top of some machine, and <laughs> they're they're obviously being very friendly and cute, and but, I mean, it's a very large animal. I think it's a pelican monkey. Yeah, pelican monkey, and so... And the doc, the doctor's she's like, Miss like, um, Panya, that creature should be secured in the sub basement. And she's like, Oh, what's that? Oh, well, it just must have escaped. <laughs> yeah, but they're having so much fun. What's the harm in that? It's just very. Oh, I love it's that moment. Super cute, and it's exactly what your grandma would say to be like, Oh, leave it alone. It's fine, <laughs> like kind of a thing. And you're just, Oh, grandma, let uh. her have her. Little monkey bird. Yeah, she's already got. Kitten. They didn't even want to give her the cat, no, and now she's, she's got like this pushing thing. more and more for more. Like <laughs> it's just very sweet. I but think uh, it's very cute. I, I was thinking of this. Um, she made these animals. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe she has a particular affinity towards sure. this one. <laughs> it's too funny. I want to see the budgie monkey. Yeah. <laughs> Back with Abe, Kate, and Johan. 
Abe says the Black Flame wasn't seen on TV. Few knew about him. If the frogs have spread to Europe, Abe says, we'll need all the help we can get. So, yeah, they're in Germany also. So for them to see the Black Flame in another country, too, that's the other implication. I also got the impression that I felt like it was drawn after the events of Casa Him. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. So that means that that douchebag is still out there. Abe asked Bruno if there were any metro expanding to the suburb. And Bruno confirms that they were expanding Metro but ran out of money. When Bruno asks Johan how Abe knew this, Johan just makes up an excuse. They don't want to mention the frogs, yeah. you know, to these people. So Johan's like, what does he say? Oh, he says, because I'm from Munich. He's like, oh, I try to keep up with what's going on here. So, you know, I mentioned it. And so that's kind of another part of Johan's story is he's from here. You know, um, so it's his hometown. Yeah. So I think that that plays a significant part in the story. Abe and Johan check out this half finished metro station. Slightly sexist of you to make Catherine stay behind, Johan says. We couldn't very well bring Inspector Carhu along, Abe says. Could we? So one of us had to keep him company. She didn't look as if she minded. Yeah, she's been getting along with him. I yeah, think it's very, she was it's like, very "You sweet. have excellent English." It's very <laughs> cute, and well, and he was. Um, they were being very friendly, and it was very, um, yeah, very sweet. And but it's under the excuse of also they can't bring him along if they find any frog shit. Yeah, you know they don't want him to see that, so they had to make up an excuse that maybe it wasn't safe. Abraham, you were very quick to suspect the frogs were here. It isn't just the drawings, isn't. The way you were looking at the helicopter. Yeah, Abe says, I was thinking of another copter crash, Crab Point. So remember that ha- when they all crashed in the helicopter in Plague of Frogs. Sure. Remember what Liz said, Abe asks, that Guilford told her this frog thing was much worse than we could imagine. You're assuming that Guilford knew all about Crab Point, Johan says, but if he did, it seems just as likely that this could be a ploy to divert us from finding him, and therefore Elizabeth. Johan, I'm already assuming this Guilford guy knows everything, and I'm sure this is a diversionary ploy, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. Ah, here we are, Abe says, and so they find this kind of opening in the wall, and they look in there. And I just really like this reveal because it's nothing like what yeah, man. we're expecting frogs. We already saw this drawing of the black flame. We're we seeing these seeing... little guys. But they, uh, it's these raincoat goblins <laughs> making these giant apocalypse machines. It yes. is very impressive and also very, very scary. It's um, the machines from Hollow Earth and the Hyperborean Slaves that we saw in that story and also in Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. These little guys, they were wearing the raincoats and they're using the stolen goods to repair these old machines. How does that even make sense, Abe asks. And one of these little guys ambushes them from behind. With Kate and Bruno, Bruno makes a flattering remark about Kate's age. So I guess things are going well there. And they're interrupted by this giant metal claw rising out of the ground. So suddenly, you know, they're just talking and then this giant thing comes out of the ground. So I guess when they discovered Johan and Abe, they just said, fuck it. We're just going to, you know, unleash the machines. Abe and Johan run out of the metro station, a giant machine behind them. And I just really love Guy Davis's work with all these enormous machines as they start taking over the town. We talked about this before with the Black Flame, but the way he does the scale. Oh, yeah. You know, and you can see the houses and all the buildings, you know, and everything getting ruined. After the machines come out, Abe goes to check on Kate and Bruno, and he fills them in on what he knows. He says, they don't seem too interested in us anymore. And Abe asks Devon, 
if he called the headquarters and Devon says his phone doesn't work. And have you tried the phone booth, Abe asks? And we get this awesome <laughs> moment um, where Aww. Devon just kind of looks at the phone booth. He looks back at Abe and Abe's like, what? This, just, <laughs> this look of just utter panic and terror. I was just like, no. And he just, even when he's going over there, he's very like, he's got this yes. face of, I don't know about this, man. So we remember the last time he had to use a phone booth was very over in cute. France with Kate and the Universal Machine, and he encountered all those werewolves, yeah. He did not have a good time. No, he booth. didn't. I'll just say, I do love this little beat. It's a, it's a nice a little, little like horrible shit fucking <laughs> monsters are going along and then we get this nice little it's, it's almost like a subtle comedic beat with yes. uh, Devin going I, I don't want to use a phone booth <laughs> I love that callback Abe can't put this together isn't that your job Bruno asked to figure out things exactly like this yeah it sure is Abe responds and these Splash massive pages. yeah these massive machines are just destroying everything and Horrible. they're like they're heading towards more buildings and I like how they're just surrounded by fire. Like, just everything is just... Everything's on awful. fire. Yeah. You think that one with the, the pointy head might be the leader? I Yeah, I didn't notice that. That one has a different shape on its head. Yeah. That's, Good little detail. That's the flagship of the monster right. robots. And then and, when we open back up on another splash page, it's just horrific. Yeah. It's just horrific. And you just you can just see these machines are everywhere too. Yeah, it's a really epic shot with Abe just standing there Terrible. watching all this. I'm sorry, I do want to go back really quick and look at the cover. Do you notice this little hello? Did you notice that? Oh, oh no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't notice hello. that. Aww. These two giant monsters fighting, and then there's like a little. Anyway, hello. I just wanted to point that out. Sorry. Abe overlooks this catastrophic scene in Munich, and Johann tells him that he was born here and she's dying. I thought she would remain constant, Johan says. Even if I could never live here, it was nice to believe that somebody always could. And uh, he even mentions, it's little things like when you think about your own neighborhood and the things that you like about it and the, the things that you like about your own city, you think of places that yeah. you like to go and more often than not you're going to say, there's a really good restaurant and her tacos are always good. or and Because you remember all the good times you had there with your family or your friends or your you know, you went on a date there or you, whatever, you always like to go there after you've been out all night and it's always there for you right. or something like that. But something that's very comforting is always going to be like, you know, cookies and things like that. And he even mentions there's a bakery not too far from here. And you're, you ought to, you're thinking when you walk into a bakery, that smell mm -hmm. of right. the bakery. And then like, oh, they're making everything from scratch in this bakery. It's so good. And they make the best uh, Springerly cookies in the world. Right. And that's something that I'm sure they would have prided themselves on because that's it's kind of hard to do that right, you know. So it's it's actually kind of tough to make those. I should have cookies. researched that. Tell me about those well, cookies. <laughs> it's a kind of a shortbread cookie. I love shortbread cookies, but it's um it's a really specific kind of shortbread where they have these, and it's a it's a cultural thing. They make these rolling pins or whatever that have these. Um, it's like a stamp, and so they'll roll the cookies in this, and it's kind of like a relief stamp oh, and so you have okay. to dry it in a certain way too or else when you bake it it'll puff up and you'll lose all the detail so it's this very intricate complicated kind of thing that they do and it's a very traditional super traditional thing and it's a cultural thing and so the springerly it's like you know around whatever holidays that you celebrate is i'm there, sure your families are gonna have get a, some here <laughs> i don't know maybe probably but uh you know there's a that. there's always going to be some sort of a 
you know, maybe a dessert or a food that you're always looking forward to when you go somewhere. And, and that's just, that's such a personal little touch that they put for him yeah. that he's experiencing so much loss that he's able to only communicate it in this. There was a bakery over there. Yeah. There was a bar over there where I had my first kiss. There was a right. bakery over here where I ate the best sprinkly cookies in the world. And look at this fucking shit, man. Look at this. And the, the, just the scene of these horrible machines yeah. like destroying this whole city made me think of like what would I miss if right. if someone yeah. you know what I mean if and so it's yeah. something like well and we just had this catastrophic horrible flood where everyone lost their homes and yeah. so you know a lot of Houston just did recently kind of experience something similar to that so you know all these people experiencing all this loss and it's just such a it's such an interesting way to express that that he's like I thought that, you know, even if I couldn't live here, it's nice to believe that somebody always could. And that little bitter comment, he's he's, he's right. had a lot of really bitter moments lately. Like, I guess you don't know how that feels. Yeah. And he's we've seen that in past books, too, where he gets so pissed off that he's like, I, you know, you don't understand how it feels. Right. I could yeah. I could uh, touch people again and I could right. whatever. I could eat food and. Maybe you don't understand how it feels. I lost my hometown now. Like he's yeah. very he's on this bitter edge now. I like how um Abe actually puts his hand on his shoulder and it's like That's, the first time. That like, is the first contact he's had with him that hasn't been totally cold. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but then he's like he's like, No, no, Johan, don't go soft on me now. Yeah. Yeah, I like that line a lot. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out that he actually puts his hand on his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the first time because he's been just super fucking cold yeah he has been kind of shut him down a sure. lot over with kate and bruno they inspect a fallen machine bruno says the same missiles that destroyed this one are bouncing off the other ones not that any of this makes sense kate says he's just not used to it to me she says giant monsters do make a kind of sense she explains to him that there's a difference between the fallen machine and the others they've changed or maybe they are changing i think this is just the beginning Changing into what, Bruno asks. I don't know. Something very hard to kill, Kate responds. fucking scary. That's just another level of scary. They really do monsters well in this series. It is fucking... And you can kind of see these ones have tentacles. They have like these tentacles coming out of the back. So that's like some of the differences. I was trying to see it what some of the differences were. They're starting to look so organic too, like the the crab arms. Yeah, yeah. Abe leads a team into the metro station where all the monsters came from, and Johan thinks they should have asked for military help, but Abe says he's more comfortable leading his own men. Johan notices Devon isn't there. Abe says combat isn't really his strong suit. Anyway, he's deeply involved in a related project. He seemed to think it was very important, and he's still with the files. He's doing something with yeah, these files. He's that he's looking through those. yeah. The fact that he's so involved in this project, it doesn't bode well for somebody. <laughs> I, so let's see how that turns out. Johan asks what their plan is. They've got C4 plastic explosives, about 300 pounds. That seems like a lot, he says. <laughs> <laughs> and Abe recalls the events of Hollow Earth, so we get some nice comparisons that I'm going to probably compare to Ryan Sook's work on that book. Right. And they, they talk about... Um, this guy, the King of Fear, you know, he trapped Liz in that generator. He was still in her life force to power the machines. That started Abe with thinking, what's powering these new machines? Abe calls Castro over with the rocket launcher. 
And Johan asks how they'll find the robot's generator. I have an idea about that, Abe says, and he orders Castro to fire. All right, everybody, lock and load, Abe says. As those little proto-humans guys, they like come at them from all from all over. I guess where they just blasted that hole, they just come swarming out of there. They've can got their little swords and all that. Can you imagine drawing this page? Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine having the time or the energy or the patience to draw these pages? Like, wow. And they're all kind of like moving and posed. You can really kind of, if you zoom in and you look at them, I mean, they're all kind of doing something. Yeah. And the motion looks really good. Yes. Like it looks really good. I really enjoy that. So the team gets totally swarmed. And yeah, this next page is just incredible. Yeah, with, um, it's just really good. We get nice little beats with Abe, the different soldiers, and Johan. And soon all the little guys retreat. And they mention that the agents have new vests that are more protective. Makes Kevlar look like cotton. I see. I understand now, Johan says. Don't worry, Abraham. I won't fail you. And he uses his ectoplasm on the proto-human guys. Out with Kate. They've yet to find weapons power enough to damage the monsters. And we see they're trying to blow this one up. Half the city will be destroyed by morning. So as they're kind of descending into this cavern with the team, the agents are talking about how this is the creepiest stuff they've ever seen. And Johan says, The souls of the dead aren't to be feared, my friend. They are to be pitied. Where they are, nothing is their own. Not the smallest of things. They don't even have secrets anymore. At least not from me. I thought that was a really interesting yeah. line. Yeah. yeah. This is a different Johan, you know what I mean? He's 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 kind of pivoted a little bit. Well, the the facade is dropped, and the nice cutesy little wholesome yeah little dude that we thought we had, it, we all know now that it, that's not the case, and so he's kind of a more subdued in his mannerisms, I think, because um, nobody trusts his ass, and they have no reason to, and so he's kind of he's speaking very plainly at this point, and it's yeah. it's, just, it's almost a poetic response but it's a very down-to-earth response at the same time plus he just saw his city of his birth yeah absolutely destroyed. Right. well yeah and it, the story has taken so many dark turns at this yeah. point it would be difficult for him to not have a very somber way about him yeah. in the way that he talks so yeah they approach a barrier and we get a glimpse of the king of fear in there really quick johan do you see anything inside we see the generator and it's a lit and these two giant creatures. <laughs> I just really like those two giant monsters, yeah. the way that they're drawn. And there's tons of these little proto-human guys everywhere. Johan doesn't feel Liz's spirit. I didn't think so, Abe says. Castro, I'm going to need that rocket launcher. <laughs> I love that. Abe is so awesome. He's, he's, he's been really awesome since all that yeah. stuff happened in Garden of Souls. I really enjoy that turn with him. I like here how they, they actually... he. When Abe picks up this fucking rocket launcher, launches it straight at one of these giant monsters, actually manages to kill it, and then he's like, Johan, like, snap, <laughs> come on, what are you, and he's like, oh yeah, I should have thought of that, yeah, you should have. I he, love this, yeah. He takes over the monster, makes that monster bite the other monster, <laughs> it's like, and these guys are not having it, it's disgusting, it's horrible. 
oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna puke. Oh shoot, your gun and everyone. It's, it's yes, <laughs> the most ridiculous action scene I have ever seen. It's incredible. I love it. Yeah, and this creature work is just amazing. Yeah, it really is. Like this one has purple blood and all this kind of stuff, <laughs> and then this one ha- was shot by Abe, so like some of his guts it's all are weird. hanging out, yeah. and it's just really good. I just uh, it's amazing. I like how what is this like the fifth and sixth devil splash pages we've gotten in this issue? Yeah, we've There's gotten a, a lot, lot. Of them, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't gotten a lot. We don't get a lot of those in the uh, Mignola verse, and it's kind of nice to see. Yes. So they're trying to blow up that thing. Yeah, Abe calls. I'm. I was trying to find where I was in my notes. Oh, sorry. sorry. Thank you for doing a lot of that legwork there, though. <laughs> Abe calls the soldiers over to the generator, and they put the explosives all over it. And Johan, as the monster, is eating up all these guys. God, I love this page where he's Gross. just, like, eating all of them. And um, it's just awesome. The agent tells Abe they've put every single block of the explosions on. Be a hell of a pop, I'll tell you, he says. It better be, Abe responds. And he yells to Johan, time to go. Same way we came in. You lead the way. And this monster action is just great as it, like, dives in. It, it, it <laughs> Once they're there, Abe asks for the detonator and activates it as soon as possible. As soon as he gets it, he pushes it. And there's some tension as we see the little guys are trying to take the explosives off the generator. And then it all goes, fwoom. <laughs> I love this panel when Abe is pushing the detonator. He's just like, Ding. yeah, there's a really nice. So um, loud. There's Sorry, a really nice you don't even do the sound effect of him pushing the button. Oh, I have to. No. <laughs> But I like the way the dynamic of the page looks. Yes, it's great. It's super good. For chapter five, we open up on Abe, and we get this weird scene. He sits in front of this burning box. He drops a picture of Edith Howard into the fire. He turns around, and the old Langdon Call house from Rhode Island is burning. We focus in on the flame, and now Abe is on the ground, and the King of Fear appears in front of him. Your world is safe now? You end my machine, and what is to be? My engines fill the bowels of this great earth everywhere. They are as rats. So many they are. If you would eliminate them all, you will be busy. It is to be. Our instruments will change things. Make them as they are meant. You can play at being masters no more. Your long dream is over at last. As my machines rise from their slumber, so must you. Go and make fire and thunder... But so must you awaken. And so while he's telling Abe all this, Abe is kind of going for his gun. And the King of Fear laughs at him. He pulls his gun on him and he's gone. And Abe just sees the he sees the ruins from the explosion from the last issue. Abraham, Johan calls. I'm glad you're all right. We could not rouse you. And we can see the dead monster that Johan was controlling behind him. And then we just get this other two-page uh, splash right here, and this is just incredible. I mean, imagine having to draw this, right? right. That is, yeah. Everything is just devastated. We see all the robots. They look pretty destroyed also. Look how it looks like the jets are flying in and getting that main one like right there at the end. Oh, yeah. One of the guys tells Bruno, tell your American girlfriend she is welcome in Munich, but next time leave the monster war in the States. And Bruno's like, should I tell her to leave her cruise missiles behind as well, Colonel? And Kate's like, guys, I do understand German. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love that. It's like, why? Uh, it's such a weird thing. It's like going to the doctor, and then the doctor says, actually, you know, we've discovered that you have cancer, so we're going to start um, treatment. 
and we're gonna go ahead and make you well and then your cancer goes into remission and you're like well i'm never going to the doctor again because last time i went to the doctor <laughs> i had cancer so it's like a we- it's like yeah but like yes the doctor is the person who told you that you have cancer but also they're the ones who gave you the treatment that made you well and and you survived it. Like it's just a very yeah. Why would you even say that out right, loud? Like yeah. what? What makes you think that that is at all a correct thing to say? <laughs> I don't understand. It's just such a weird thing uh, to say. It's just very strange. And we get this kind of beat with Johan and Abe. Also, Johan says, "Will you be at the hotel? I will contact you later." And he just walks off. Kate asks Abe what he's been up to, and he fills her in on everything. The generator created some sort of force field around the monster machines, but Abe says that he thinks it was more than the power source. Something made those things change. More clearly than you know, Bruno says, and we reveal one of these giant pregnant frogs in the machines. They have the similar mouthpiece to the Zinko frogs that we saw from the Black Flame. So those little proto-humans were working with the frogs also. And he says, uh, this guy, whatever the soldier says, I never want to see damn thing as this again. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. Yeah. Abe says Guilford wasn't lying to Liz. Things are much worse than they imagine. The Frongs have united with the King of Fear and his army. It's a two-front war, he says. All right, what about Liz? Did you find anything out about Liz, Kate asks. Liz? No. Not a thing. Jeez. Over in another part, Johan is driven in a vehicle. He stopped at the barricade. The soldier lets him through. My captain said you would be coming. And I'm sorry, sir, he says. He told me this was the neighborhood where you used to live. Yes, I used to live, Johan says. But it's kind of in that little dialogue. So, like, is he just saying that to himself? little aside. Johan asks the driver to go slowly and lower the window, please. There, there it is. My home, gone. And the two little girls who lived across the street, the fireman next door with his wife and his father who used to sneak cigarettes on the roof. And the driver says, sir, they probably were warned. Maybe they all escaped. And Johan uses his ectoplasm. No, no, they didn't. And it's it's just drifting out of the car window as they're... Yeah, I really like that. How it's just kind of coming out like that. And all the... Uh, all the people kind of start to appear it's just a very poignant little way to end that scene yeah bruno asks kate why this has all started now kate says they've always been around longer than we have actually they've been operating under the radar underground bruno asks partly that yes but there is a bigger world out there that sort of brushes up against ours you know what it's like the bubonic plague It was always there, proliferating in the reservoirs of non-human animals, not having any impact on this. But when it made the leap into the human population, it was out of control. Is this what this is now? Out of control, I mean, Bruno asks. It certainly looks that way. But is it? We're fighting these things. That's what we do. And we've got good people. Everything that can be done will be done, Bruno, Kate says. But don't ask me if it's too late for the human race. I can't answer that question. I don't want to. And there's just kind of this moment, and Bruno says, and dinner? Is it too late for that? Cute. Yeah. Precious. That's a nice way. That That's a good it's counter to sweet. that Johan scene. It is, and yeah. it's, it's kind of a, it is a good counter to that Johan scene, and it is also a direct response to when she's saying, well, I don't, we're going to do everything we can. I don't know if it's too late for the human race. I don't want to answer that question. It's a very big 
ugly question. So he's, but when you think about it, what makes that worthwhile? Having dinner with people right. that you enjoy when you enjoy their company, having a, a nice, beautiful dinner, a nice um, exploring the possibility of of a love or attraction, right. of um, exploring new connections, new relationships, and those connections are what really make that life worth worth living and worth saving. And so that's something that's a very hopeful little, like you said, it's a very hopeful little um, contrasting thing to the yeah. thing we just saw with Johan, where he, all he could do in that moment was was kind of mourn. And, right. and you know, it, he was just experiencing so much grief and it was just so, so there's a little, little balancing act they're doing there with those two scenes. Yeah, and like they've been through a lot together and just this little thing you know just this it's it's only one story but these two characters bruno and kate have kind of like sometimes that's how people bond is being through these like terrible tragedies together you know what i mean absolutely and so we get this awesome scene with abe remember when we read darkness calls we were looking at the sketchbook and duncan had done his version of this picture i love this and it was a gift for guy davis so cute and so abe is looking at this picture and it's a picture of him kate and liz and hellboy and hellboy's doing like the bunny ears on him with the right hand of doom fingers and in the background you can barely see it but in the background there's a a picture of uh, Professor Broom and Young Hellboy, yeah. and you can kind of see a little cut off part of it. You can see it better in that Duncan one. And so Abe is pouring something into this from his flask into this little cup with ice. What do, What do you think he's drinking there? Definitely whiskey. whiskey yeah, okay. some kind of bourbon. To Hellboy, where is he when you need him? And then he sees Guilford in the glass, and he's like, "You fucker!" That's what I imagine he <laughs> says right there because it's just all bleeped out or whatever. Or maybe even you. Bitch. Oh, yeah, Incredible. that would be another one. Not only are you appearing in my drink, you're ruining my drink. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love I love that just like he's about to have, like you said, he's about to enjoy this yeah. well-earned yeah, well right. earned glass of whiskey, and he just, you fucker. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> and he sees Guilford. Your anger changes nothing. You've seen the truth, haven't you? And Abe's like, yeah, great. Where's Liz? Safe, Guilford says. We you know, totally, I'm sorry, we totally skipped over the part where poor Devin is up right. in bed in the hotel room right next door on his laptop and he just hears <laughs> this glass hitting the wall. <laughs> oh my God, sorry. No, that's, no. Uh, I like when he peels away that that's what I was layer say, yeah. of reality. Sorry, go yeah, for it, he, please. Yeah, he tells, he tells Abe, you need to see more, you need to understand, and he like kind of pulls back a curtain, but it's like reality. That is so fucking cool. I just cool. love that, yeah. Yes. And he shows Abe a vision of the frogs and the monsters. Guilford says, this is the future. Nothing they do can hold it back or change it. And it's just more of just this apocalypse, but it's got these monsters as well. And then you see the frogs also. What's that got to do with Liz, Abe asks. And we see Liz in a robe, white-eyed, and she's got this flame kind of coming out of her. It's really, really cool imagery. Really cool. She is the grasping fist of the assumption, Guilford says, the might and the charity, balance of sidereal and evanescent in her heart. From her hand leaps the living arc of a current that slides through the echoes of creation and deliverance. That is a very impressive sentence yes it is (laughs) and that's apparently what liz is now yeah and just really love this page with the frog monster with a question mark the whole page (laughs) is great but i just love this top panel yeah guy davis does such a good job with these frog monsters 
Back in Abe's room, Guilford tells him, I'm not lying to you, sir. This is all beyond you. With Miss Sherman, I can handle it. Don't interfere. Go home. She is mine now, and I will lead her to ordination. Hey, hey, Abe screams after Guilford as he walks into this, like, apocalyptic world or whatever. It's just really... Um, I love the contrast, too, of Abe's room. The, the, the color does a really good job, too. Yeah. Once again, another guy who's trying to use Liz for his own game. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's <sighs> It keeps coming back really to annoying. that. Yeah. Devon enters Abe's room, and Abe kind of sits up. He was at his desk. I went and got the key. You weren't answering your door. Sorry, are you okay? It's okay, Devon. I'm okay, too. You're still looking through those old files you scanned, Abe asks. Yeah, not one word on Guilford, but, and Abe's like, but, and I love how he's like putting his head under the water, you know, because like not only was he having that vision, but he's also like a fishman too, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was Um, thinking maybe he didn't have his tank with him. Sure. Yeah. Uh. Maybe it's nothing. Probably it's nothing. But I remember you all talking about that Lobster Johnson character and, well, I think I found his old hideout. What? Devin? Devin. And that's it. That's the end of the story. So, yeah, I thought that that was kind of a an interesting ending to leave it that way. You know, now Abe is having these visions of Guilford. Liz has been kidnapped. So we're kind of left on that cliffhanger. And then something, you know, back to Lobster Johnson. Kind of like at the end of Killing Ground, too. At the end of Killing Ground, it kind of left us with this weird cliffhanger and lobster johnson and then one of the most frustrating things is like there is no daimyo like we don't yes. we, <laughs> oh, right? after it the killing to. ground you're like what happened when they were staying out there in the snow we still don't know yet yeah it, it's, it's, i like how uh it did pick up with we're gonna go find daimyo and then you know bam kate's like nope we got this other shit to do which led to this other shit to do right yeah and then next thing you know monster robots are destroying munich <laughs> Uh, I love this story. I thought it was great. In the sketchbook, Guy Davis said he originally had the Hyperborean robot monsters standing upright, but Mignola suggested to make them crab-like and simplify the limbs so they wouldn't be confused with the Victorian robots from Garden of Souls. Mm. The monster that Johan takes control of was modeled after the one that Ryan Sook drew in Hollow Earth. Remember, you really liked that yeah, one. Yeah, yes. Um, Guy Davis was trying to make it look like that one, and then the other one was based on a skink, the oh, one with the long yeah. snout. And they were originally going to have gun turrets with a little guy mounted on them, <laughs> but they didn't do that. And then, like I mentioned, the Mignola penciled the covers with inks by Kevin Nolan. All right, I think that's everything. Yeah, I think that wraps it up. Yep, now Aubrey's going to say all the things. So, share with us your thoughts on the warning. Send us your feedback to hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And send us in your little intros. Definitely. And don't forget, we're also on Discord. The link is in our Facebook description. Yep. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, next week's podcast, we'll be discussing Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. Yeah. So pull out those back issues, trades, on buses, library editions. Go to your local library, see if they have it, use the library app, and et cetera, et cetera, and join us along next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, to Hellboy, where is he when you need him? <laughs> that was good. That was a good one.